Let's turn to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. I'm going to talk about the vindication of the Lord. When I was in college at the small Christian college in Kansas, uh, a friend, a buddy of mine, uh, he and I were going to a residential home for some type of meeting, and we got lost, and it was way before GPS and cell phones to call people. Neither one of us were very good with directions, and so we're kind of roaming through this neighborhood, and um, we're getting more and more lost, and so it's becoming a funnier issue. We weren't really stressed. We were just kind of laughing about it and, and the absurdity of being lost in the middle of this little suburb. And we're having a good time and goofing off like college-age guys do. And we come around the corner, and, you know, I don't know if it, it was really the proper speed, but we come around this corner, and, and, and there's a car in the way, and we avoid the car, and we're continuing to laugh. And we noticed that the driver of the car was a lady that we didn't know personally, but we knew who she was. Because on our, our small campus, she had notoriety as a professor, and her husband was one of the vice presidents. And so we knew who she was. She probably didn't know who, she, who we were very well. And so when we almost ran into her and we were laughing about it, we kind of instinctively waved at her and then laughed more about that matter and went on about our, our day. And a few days passed over and I, I didn't give a second thought to that experience whatsoever. Then I got called into the dean's office. The dean informed me that I was under... Um, I was under a disciplinarian um, investigation because this lady who I had run into almost or had, had waved at in the neighborhood felt like that me and my friend had given her a different type of gesture and felt like we had shot her the bird. And when I was told this, I could not have been more shocked because that just wasn't part of a habit that I, I participated in. And for the record, it's still not a habit I participate in. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I, I said, are you kidding? No way. Why would she even think that? And this was some time had passed. Some time had passed since this occurred. And, and I was almost exasperated. Like, how could this happen? Um, and started out laughing. And then I realized it was a serious matter. And, and they ended up, um, in this investigation, little did I know that the guy who was in the car with me was in another office down the hall being investigated at the same time so we couldn't collaborate our stories. Uh, it ended up that uh, they believed us. We had the same story. Went on, and, and the dean said that he had also you know, looked into our character around campus, and, and neither one of us uh, were known for flipping people off or anything like that. Uh, and... and I thought about that story uh, in con conjunction with this sermon because uh, that feeling of being accused for something you haven't done is not a good feeling. It's a terrible feeling. In addition, even when you have done something, but you've received forgiveness or asked for forgiveness and you've tried to make, make things right with people, but yet it still you're still being judged by it, you're still suffering unnecessary consequences from that, that doesn't feel very, very good either. That's why we need vindication. Vindication is when our name is cleared. Vindication is when the story is cleared. In fact, you have, a, you have a definition of that on the review 
or in U version. Vindicate means to clear from an accusation, a suspicion, or the like. Meaning, meaning your name's cleared. You're cleared. In the passage today, we're going to see that this is part of God's heart for you. God wants to vindicate you. God wants to clear you of accusation. God wants to clear you of suspicion. And I, I believe you're going to see from Scripture today some ways, not the only ways, but some ways through Joel chapter 2 that the Lord does that. Let's jump into the text. Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Children of Zion, rejoice and be glad in the Lord your God because he gives you the autumn rain for your vindication and he sends showers for you, both autumn and spring rain as before. Let me remind you of something that comes up pretty frequently in our talks, that in an agrarian society, the produce, the wine, this was the commodity of wealth. Therefore, appropriate rain at the right time, and certainly in the autumn when seeds were planted, were a blessing from God. Rain was a blessing from God. You know, a lot of times we pray for it to rain or not to rain, and I've kind of stopped that. I've never been able to reconcile the fact that, you know, a farmer may be praying for rain for his crop, and then in the neighborhood next door, a mom who has a four-year-old birthday party is praying against the rain. And so is God going to listen to the farmer or to the mom? And I haven't quite figured that out. So I just have decided, God, I'm just going to take whatever weather you have for us. It's part of your plan because I don't want to pray against someone else. I don't want to pray for no rain when someone's praying for rain. And, and maybe God honors the person who actually prays. I don't know, and I'm just a victim. But I don't think so. I, I think that he's kind of at work no matter what the weather is. And, and, and so it is that, back to this passage, um, the, the rain is a positive thing. The, the rain is a sign of God's blessing, God's prosperity. Uh, the, the rain is a, God, a sign of God's favor. The Lord says, one of the ways I'm going to vindicate you is by sending showers, sending rain. And I want to talk a little more about the vindication of the Lord. Because there are some times in our life when we just have to have God back us up. Now, I believe decisions need to be made with the church community. But even sometimes within the church community, um, for temporary times, um, we may be misunderstood. We, we, may, we may have a perspective no one else understands yet. Maybe they'll get there, but they're not there yet. And in those times, we need God. We need God to have our back. We need God to vindicate us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 16, gives us a New Testament example of God's vindication. At my first offense, Paul wrote, no one stood by me. Everyone deserted me. Then look at this Christ-like attitude. May it not be counted against them. Isn't that spiritual maturity? Isn't it, you know, listen, people are going to disappoint you. Your friends are going to disappoint you. Your 242 group's going to disappoint you and let you down. And you may have taken meals to people the last three months, and then you got overlooked when it's time for you to get meals. Stuff like that happens, guys. Um, maybe, maybe it was that time you wanted to come talk to Aaron and, and I didn't realize you wanted to talk. I just did small talk and walk away. I'm going to let you down. Um, 
people are not sometimes going to get behind you in the, the emotion that you need. This just happens because we're frail human beings and we don't always, we, always, we don't hit the mark. We don't always respond perfectly. But look at verse 17. I love this. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. That's another one of the sermon stoppers right there. I can dismiss you in prayer and let's just all go think about this scripture today. Everyone else deserted me, but the Lord stood with me. Everyone else um, abandoned me and misunderstood me, but the Lord stood with me. There's sometimes that we just need the vindication of God knowing that God's the one that's going to clear our name. God's the one that's going to stand with us. God's the one who's going to support us. And, and, and he, is, he is the one who knows what we need most. Why does the Lord vindicate? Verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles might hear. This is a man who knew his mission. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm so glad we had that scripture. And, and take it, go and mark that in your Bible as an encouragement to you. Here's three reasons from the book of Joel, three ways that God shows vindication. And I've already discussed one, but we'll give, a, we'll give a point to this. Number one, provision. There's no doubt that God, one of the ways God vindicates is through provision, providing what we need financially, providing what we need emotionally, providing what we need relationally, providing what we need to take care of our basic needs. And, and I want to, uh, let's go to the scripture and then I'll give more commentary. Joel chapter two, verse 24, the threshing floor will be full of grain and the vats will overflow with new wine and olive oil. So this is a, a sign of God's blessing and overflow and prosperity. Verse 25, I will repay you for the years that the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts, the destroying locusts, my great army that I sent against you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of Yahweh, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. So we see here that this is a God who says, I'm going to bless you and even repay you for the years the locusts ate. Even when, this is so gracious for God, even when that was a form of God's judgment on our life. See, God's judgment on our life is good because God's judgment on our life leads us to repentance. So even when stuff came to our life uh, and the Lord allowed it and it was tough, he, he can repay us for it. Isn't God good for that? Look at verse 25 again. Here's a key verse. This is, this is a key promise from God. This is something that I want you to claim I want you to believe in. I want you to see it in your life. This is the vindication of the Lord. I will repay you for the years the swarming locusts ate. I'm going to pay you back. That's what the Lord's going to do. Now, often uh, we, we can misapply this verse, meaning that um, God's going to have to uh, repay in a particular way. Sometimes we're, we might say, well, the Lord's going to restore this specific relationship back. Well, maybe it's not healthy for that relationship to be back to where it once was. 
Um, it could be that we're looking for a dollar amount if it's a monetary thing. Okay, the Lord's going to have to restore that $10,000 I got cheated on. But maybe the Lord's not going to give you $10,000, but he's going to save you $10,000. But when we have a bitter heart towards God, we'll never see the vindication of God. When we have a hard heart towards God, we never see the goodness of God. We just, we just accuse God. But when you begin to realize the nature of God, God, the God who vindicates, the God who pays back, the God who repays, it begins to open your spiritual eyes. And you begin to see through the spiritual eyes. You begin to see through a pure heart. You begin to see through faith that God is operating maybe in a way you did not anticipate. God's going to repay. God's going to have your back. God's going to come and he's going to bring back to you what you can't do what you can't pay back yourself. It may be a loss of relationship, a loss of finances, a loss of opportunity. But if you open your heart to what God has, through eyes of faith, your mind will open up to new possibilities that he has. Here's the second thing is this from Joel chapter two, deliverance from shame. Deliverance from shame. Joel 2:26. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. This is Joel chapter two, verse 26. You will praise the name of Yahweh, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. It's beautiful words. My people will never again be put to shame. Shame is a kind of a buzzword right now in self-help books and in psychology and things of that nature. And probably for good reason. It's not a bad thing. God's been speaking about shame and redemption from it for thousands of years. So it's always good when um, popular culture catches up with God. And all wisdom comes from the Lord. So some of these writings on shame are very helpful and very beneficial. Uh, we're kind of in a cultural conflict with radical Islam, which is a shame-based culture. And it's all about controlling through shame. So because of that, Western culture is saying, hey, we, we don't want to operate in shame. We don't want to do that. And, and there's, very, there's very much a spiritual, biblical, um, a, a biblical teaching on this shame as God has taught about this. M much of the word says, talks about a redemption of the shame. But I, I started thinking about shame because there's a lot of different definitions. We can go grab them off Google. We could... Um, we could create, create these different definitions and they're all, they all have truth to them. And so I've come up with a definition that is certainly not all inclusive, but I think is helpful. This is, this is just coming from my life experience and thinking about the subject. I think one definition of shame can be this, is the feeling when we're stuck in a situation. A feeling of being stuck. And so it is that we're, we're, we're stuck, and let me just expand that. We're stuck, and we can't do anything about it. So we're stuck in a situation, and we just feel like we cannot do anything about it, and, and things are hopeless, and, and we're at the end of the road. Now, I had something happen to me in the next few days, last few days, last nine or ten days, that has been really frustrating, that parallels with this. I'm, I'm doing some research for my academic project, and there is a particular program that I had to have on my laptop to take the data and to process the data. And we've come to the point where I have to use this program. And so I paid to download it and tried to download it, and, and my laptop was not allowing it to download. 
So I called the company and talked to them. I had to get reclassified to access, get the right code. And then it still didn't work. So then I called my school and the IT department started helping me. Two or three people from the IT department were working on this and we still could not figure out how to download this necessary program. Now all you IT people, it's like you've perked up in the sermon, your mind's racing, you're like, I would love that, I would love that challenge. Why didn't you call me Pastor Aaron, all this? So I get it. Um, so Friday, the IT guy at the school told me over the phone, he just said, Aaron, I'm gonna close out this ticket. I think there's nothing else I can do for you. I was like, what? He's like, let me know if you find something out, but we've all talked about it and there's just nothing else that we can do about this. And, and this was such a frustrating, I wasn't upset with him because he had been beyond helpful, beyond the scope of what he was required to do. But I hung up that phone call and I was just so frustrated. And, and I just felt stuck. I mean, I did, not know, I did not know what to do. I felt like I had done everything and I did not know what to do and, and I felt stuck. Now, this is where whenever we feel stuck, we can begin to internalize this and personalize this. So this is what could have easily happened. I could have said, well, you know, I'm just not a computer guy. I just, me, me and computers just don't work. I can't, I'm, I can't figure out how to work a computer. And then I could have continued to reason and say, well, I'm just not a good researcher. Research is not for me. Research is not my thing. Uh, maybe I could just go on and, and irrationally say, I'm never going to finish this degree. I'm never going to get done. I, I'm, it's like a marathon. I'm going to run 25 miles, and on the last mile, I'm going to cramp up and not, not finish. Um, I, I'm terrible. I'm a terrible teacher. I'm a terrible student. I'm terrible at computers. I'm terrible at uh, downloading programs. I'm terrible at education. I'm bad. Shame, 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 shame. So we feel stuck, right? So that, that's, that's where we go. And a lot of times with moral things, you know, when, when, when we deal with anger habits, sexual dysfunction, addictions, these things, we internalize that. We're like, we, we just accept it and just say, well, I, because I feel stuck, because I can't do anything about it, this is just the way that I am. And that's where shame comes in. Now, can I tell you the rest about what happened to my computer program? The problem is I can't find a parallel of how this works back into the sermon, but I'll tell you anyway. So I did, I pray, I did pray about it. And I, I said, Lord, you know, I thought about that, that song we sing, Lord, I look to you, I'm overwhelmed, you know, and I just gave it to the Lord and then walked away from it. Uh, so Saturday morning, um, I'm on there and, and, and I'm like, okay, I started Googling stuff and looking and I just pray, Lord, help me, help me with this. And, and I finally figured it out. And what it was, in case you're interested, when you're, when you're, when you're in the terminal part of the computer and you put, your, you put the right code in, I put the right code in, and then it asks for the password. And when you put your password in, it doesn't show up there, but you're actually putting your password in. So anyway, in case you're wondering, maybe I'll solve a problem for you someday. And when I, I put that password and it was invisible, nothing happened, I pushed enter, and then wow. And you would have thought that I just won the Super Bowl. I was like, yes, yes. I mean, you heard it. You were right there. I was like, this is awesome. Yes. So anyway, that was a great feeling. So that, that worked out good. But even if, I, if, if, even if it didn't work out that way, I would not be ashamed today because that did not define my life. So we feel stuck. And the Lord says, I'm going to take away that feeling of being stuck. The Jewish people felt stuck most of their existence. They never had a powerful army, or, or rarely had a powerful army. 
Rarely were the leaders in the world, and most, uh, a significant time of their existence, um, they were being oppressed by other people. And even in modern times, we see that. But th this is what the Lord says to them. This is part of his vindication. Verse 26, my people, this is what he says to us, will never again be put to shame. And I, I want you to know this is that shame is not for you. Repentance is for you. That, that's, to me, what the opposite of shame is, is repentance. And it's the grace of God that allows us to repent. We turn to Jesus and we turn away from our sin and we walk in a new way, not because we're able to and not because we're doing it on our own strength, but because the power of the message of the gospel has changed our lives and it's changed the direction of our life. And when the direction of our life is changed, even when we stumble, we keep moving because we're moving towards the right direction, which is the presence of the Lord. I have a good friend who lives in Philadelphia, and so I've gone to visit him probably four or five times in the last 15 years. On one of those trips, we were in the west suburbs of Philadelphia and found out that in the very area that we were in, there was a worship conference happening that several of my friends were involved in. In fact, Paul Jackson sitting over there, you were part of that conference. Uh, and then a couple of friends, friends of mine who were worship artists were part of the conference. And then the guy who organized the whole conference, uh, he, he, the guy in charge of it, he was a friend of mine also. And I had no idea they were up there until I'd already gone to Philadelphia. So I talked to them and they said, hey, come on, come on to the conference, hang out with us a little bit. Um, and they said, show up and meet us in the green room. So, you know, I show up at the venue and I find the green room and there's a security guy there in front of it, up in front of the entrance to the green room. Now, I know here in the United States of America, we have powerful, intelligent people in the CIA, in the FBI, other agencies of the Homeland Security, maybe agencies we don't know about. But if you want the best security in the world, then get a volunteer from the church, get a black t-shirt, print security at the back. Those guys take their jobs seriously, man. I mean, no games, man, no games. In that green room, someone had bought a plate of cheese from Walmart and some soda and stuff like that, and he was going to guard that room only if you had the lanyard, the lanyard that had been made at Kinko's, you know? That was the only chance that you were going to get to that room. So, so he's guarding the room, and I hadn't seen Paul, I hadn't seen the other guys, and so I'm kind of explaining to him, like, well, I'm in town, and my friends are part of it. In fact, the, the guys who are leading worship here in a second, they're, they're back there. They've asked me to come, and, and we're, we're kind of negotiating. I wasn't going to push it too hard. And then the guy who was in charge of the whole event, the guy who, who had put it on, his name was Rob, he, saw, he sees me, and he goes, Pastor Aaron, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. And he comes and, and he says, this is going to be the conference chaplain. I'm like, wow, can you print a t-shirt for me, huh? <laughs> and so the security guard let me pass and I went in there and I got my plate of cheese and my, my <laughs> diet soda. And, and then I got a lanyard. And, and, and the rest of the weekend, uh, when I was around, I got to go anywhere I wanted to. The security guard just, he kind of, gave me a nod approvingly. I know you're safe. I get to go everywhere I want to. Why? Because I was with the right person. When I was with the guy who was in charge, I had access to wherever I wanted to go. This is 
the greatest vindication of God. Here's the last thing. The greatest vindication of the Lord is the Lord himself, his presence. His presence. The purpose of the vindication of God, the reason God wants to clear your name, the reason God wants to clear your accusers, the reason God has your back, the reason like Paul, it's the Lord who came, the Lord defended me, the Lord who gave me strength. He's doing that because the Lord wants you to have more of him, more of his presence, more of who he is. So we, we read already in, excuse me, in Joel chapter 2 about God providing for us. And, and I want to just say this, that I don't ever want to overemphasize finances or money so that we're like, we're coming here to worship and all we're doing is talking about money. But I want to say this, is that, that God wants to provide for your needs so you don't have to think about money. So if, if, you're, if we're always just thinking about like the next meal and the next mortgage payment and the, the next, then, then when we're preoccupied with those type of needs and we don't have time to think about a relationship with God often. So the purpose of provision the purpose of prosperity is not to satisfy your wants, but to satisfy your needs. So when your needs are satisfied, then we're not needy people. We're God-centered people. We're, 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 we're centered on who God is. So the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repay you with the locust stolen relationships, time, whatever that means to you. Uh, as far as, I don't know if you can repay time. I guess, you could, I guess God can do anything, but in relationships and opportunity. Um, provision, the Lord's going to repay. And the Lord says, I'm going to take away your shame. My people won't be people of shame. We're not people who are, who are in a shame-based culture where we're, we're always giving ourselves self-penance uh, to try to prove to ourselves, wondering if maybe somehow, maybe we can get before God and we've done enough penance that he's going to accept us. No way. We, we, we are trusting fully in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Nothing else. Nothing else. So then, this is what Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says. After this, after you're provided for, after your shame is removed, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days, talking about the men and women who are disregarded by society are not disregarded by our God. Every single person, male or female, rich or poor, the powerful and the slaves, the spirit of God is for everyone, for everyone. The Lord says afterwards, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour. These are the days we live in. Ever since the Holy Spirit was given, to the church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost after Jesus ascended. We are in those days. These are the days when our, our children are going to move and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a greater treasure for our kids than there was for us. And I want to speak to something. Some of us are trying to manage our kids' experiences. And maybe we're concerned, like we're like saying, well, I want my kids to live a little. I don't want them to be like a Jesus weirdo. I want them to have a little fun. Then they can get serious about Jesus. Please, please don't have that mindset because things are different than when you and I grew up. Our kids need all of Jesus they can get. Our kids need all of the power of the Holy Spirit that they need. 
Don't do anything as a parent to, to encourage them to explore sin. I know that feels crazy to say that, but I've worked with a lot of parents and teenagers, and this is a common theme. It's like, I feel sometimes parents, we're more scared of our kids getting on fire for Jesus. We're more scared of that than we are of them sinning. It's like we would prefer them to sin. It feels silly to say it, but it's a reality. It's a reality. Okay, it's like it's a, if they go too much for God, we're like, hey, let's just back off. Let's not, let's not be weird or anything. Let, let's not be out of balance. And, and, and listen, I, I'm just encouraging you. We, these are the days where our sons and daughters are, are destined by God, called to God to be prophets, to speak the word of the Lord, to have a greater spiritual fervor than we did. And we, we, we need a greater, a greater anointing. There's a greater anointing on our sons and daughters. There are, put it back to verse 27, uh, the, the previous screen, so they'll know what I'm talking about here. Um, if you put it back on, on, on the, uh, the previous verse, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then I'm gonna say this, your old men will have dreams. Your old men will have dreams. And I wanted to speak, of course, this, this age isn't very old to me because, you know, I'm 41 now. And so, you know, the years are getting behind me. But for, for us guys who are 40 and over, 50 and over for sure, um, the Lord wants to encourage you to keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. I, I believe the Lord has wanted, wanted me to tell you this today, to keep dreaming. Keep dreaming dreams for God. Don't, don't, don't say my time has passed. Don't say that the dream is for the young men. Yes, age makes things different, but with God, wisdom makes us more qualified for some of the things that we weren't ready for when we used to dream. And so now we're ready to dream. And, and I just want to call the men of this church to be dreamers for God, dreamers for the Lord, visionaries for the Lord. Dream about what God can do with your life. It's not too late. The, the greatest dreams by the Spirit are ahead of you. A manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power in your life is a dream. Dream. You know what the natural thing is for us men to do? It's just to drift into ease, drift into a place of no responsibility, drift into a place where, um, you know, it's just about our time. But, you know, that doesn't cause our heart to come alive. What caused our heart to come alive is a, a dream from God, a challenge from God to take new ground for Him, to take new territory for Him to make sure that in this short span of life we have, that we're doing everything we can to be the man of God he's called us to be. And this certainly applies to both genders, but I, I felt the Holy Spirit was speaking specifically to the men about this. These are days of, of visions and dreams. It's about his presence, about his presence. Would you stand with me? Stand in the attitude of prayer. Psalm 84 says this, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cries out for the living God. This is a, a man who wanted God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Uh, it's, so, it's so interesting. You know, we do try to coordinate to a small degree the worship and the preaching, but not always. But the Holy Spirit coordinates it. And, and Beth's, Beth did that song, Oh, come to the altars. And, and I didn't even connect it until the first service. It's verse 84. How happy are those who reside in your house. Uh, Lord of hosts, uh, praise you continually. Look at this. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. You know what that's talking about? It's talking about a repentant heart. It's, it's not necessarily about a geographical location like the front of the church. 
it's about a repentant heart. Like, like God, I want to be this man or woman who's just like quickly going to you, God. I'm quickly going to your presence. I want to get this sin out of my life. I want to repent of this bad attitude. I want to make things right with my brother and sister. I, I want to make sure, God, that things are right with you. Not because I'm living in shame. I'm not living in this shame-based deal where, where I think you're ashamed of me, God. But because I want you, God. I want you cleared me of my shame. You provided what I need. Now I want you. I want your presence. I want your reality. I want the essence of who you are. That's what we want, God. It all goes back to the gospel. It all goes back to what Jesus did for us. And Jesus was our vindication. That's the last point. You don't need to fill it in, but it's written in your notes. Jesus is our vindication. I want to remind you what he did for us. He made us friends. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, new things have come. New things from the Lord has come to us.